with this little uh, bumper video, one of the questions that was just asked right at the end was, well, how does any of this relate to me? Uh, one of our tasks during this series where we've entitled it Brought to Life is not only talk about how Jesus was resurrected after he had died on the cross and he was resurrected on Easter Sunday morning, but to bring the characters of the Easter story to life. I mean, if you've ever watched a movie like Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List or even The Passion of the Christ, you're deeply moved because all of a sudden the people involved in the Holocaust or World War II or the crucifixion, all of a sudden these are real people. And it's like, oh my goodness, now I care. I can identify with some of this. And that's what we're trying to do with this by looking at some different characters in the Easter story. Last week, we looked at the accusers of Jesus who, brought, who wanted him executed. And this week, we're going to look at the life of Pilate, a Roman governor. Pilate and the Romans is the title at the top of your outline because it's significant. They played a significant role. This man and the Roman government both played a significant role in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And I want you and I to explore why. But I want to give you a warning ahead of time. I, as I was studying for this, I would love to tell you these people were all just horrible, wicked psychopaths, and they're completely different than all of us today. But as we unpack this, you're going to discover that Pilate was driven by a lot of the same motivations that could motivate us. And we have our own version of the same temptations that he faced. So fair warning, this is going to apply to you and me a lot more than we might think. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, when we study your word, Lord, you speak to us. So today, Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. And you'll teach us something we need to know. You'll challenge us in some way, something about something we need to hear. You'll move us today. Some of us have grown up in church. We've heard this story for years about Easter. But Lord, I pray that there'd be something new, that we discover something today. If you would like the Lord to speak to you today, to teach you something today, just silently where you are, would you say, Lord, I'd like to hear from you today. I'd like to learn something and like to be challenged. And if you desire that, pray it. He'll hear you. So we pray these things together today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, some important background information, if you're going to want to know about Pontius Pilate, the guy who sentenced Jesus to death, it's important to realize that the Roman emperors, as the Roman Empire spread, when they would conquer a territory, they would appoint a prefect or a governor and over those provinces, and they would administer the affairs of the government, and they would keep the peace. When you conquered a territory, the people didn't like it. In the case of Israel, Israel and Jerusalem had been conquered in 63 B.C., so this is like 33 A.D. when Jesus is on trial, so it's been like 90 years. And the people have never gotten used to it. They hate Roman occupation because this was a land God had given to the descendants of Abraham, not to the Romans. And they wanted the Romans out. So you have a problem as far as Rome is concerned. These are people who hate you there. There are all kinds of people who are always organizing to try to throw you out. There's uprisings every now and then. But you can't afford to keep a lot of troops there. It's not that big of a place. So you bring in a guy like Pilate. And he was the governor over the 
uh, provinces of Samaria and Judea from AD 26 to 36. And Jerusalem was located in that province of Judea. He was brought in to keep the peace. And the way they did that was if trouble started, you put it out quick. You only had a few hundred troops. You probably have tens of thousands of people. You find the troublemaker, kill him. If there's an uprising, you squash it using maximum force because you can't let the thing get out of hand. For Rome, the goal was control, control, control. So here comes Pilate. He's appointed by Emperor Tiberius to be in charge. And by the way, I can be very specific about AD 26 to 36. Every now and then people say, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that's even true. There's no historical evidence for all that. That's complete nonsense. There's lots of historical evidence for this guy. In fact, there was a stone uncovered in 1961 in Caesarea that, with an inscription on it. And it was about a, an aqueduct project. You'll hear more about some of this in a minute. But it was about a project that uh, Pontius Pilate, this guy, had started while under the reign of Emperor Tiberius. And it says that he was the prefect of Judea. Oh, well, there's that. And that's exactly when uh, the Bible says he was to have lived. But what you need to know about Pilate also was not only was he in, in this position as a prefect, he was also very unpopular because he didn't, he was just totally deaf to the concerns of the people. He came in there to represent Rome and he ruled with an iron fist. And so he went farther than any of the governors who'd gone before him. For instance, when he took power, he wanted people to know that Rome had arrived and there was a new sheriff in town. So during the night, one night, he had Roman soldiers march into Jerusalem and surround the temple carrying standards, these big poles with flags on them and a big, there would be a big medallion at the top with an image of Caesar's head on it, you know, like a giant coin type of thing. Well, in Jerusalem, none of the other governors before him had ever done this because people were very sensitive to making any, not making any graven image. And so the next morning when the people went to the temple, they saw these standards out there, Roman soldiers holding these things, and they freak out. Pilate's office is 50 miles away in Caesarea, and they get, there are thousands of people who travel all the way to Caesarea, and they're banging on Pilate's door going, you get those standards out of Jerusalem. We don't have graven images in Jerusalem. And Pilate says, I'm not doing it. I'm in charge now. And so they all just fell on the ground and laid there for five days, caused a massive traffic jam. Nobody could even move in Caesarea. Thousands, tens of thousands of people just laying on the streets won't move. So Pilate says, well, come to the amphitheater where they could hold that big of a crowd and we'll talk. I'll make a deal with you. What they didn't realize was he'd also told his soldiers to form a ring around the amphitheater with their swords drawn and to come in and kill people who wouldn't disband. So he got them in and said, I'm sending y'all home or I'll kill you. And then to his horror, they all tore their shirts open and said, start with me first. Well, you really don't want to get off on the wrong foot, like slaughtering 10,000 people your first week on the job. So Pilate backed down. So what you need to know, if you're going to understand Pontius Pilate in the story of Jesus, is that Pontius Pilate was an aggressive politician who overreached and then chickened out. 
couple of years later, another altercation happened. The Romans were famous for building aqueducts to bring fresh water. This was long before running water existed, but they would pipe in water through a series of water troughs that would be 50 miles long. I mean, they built these amazing bridges and tunnels, and it was amazing how they brought water. They were building an aqueduct that was running from Hebron all the way to Jerusalem, which is another 50-mile trip in the other direction. And the Romans were building this, so there'd be plenty of water for Jerusalem. And Pilate thought, well, why is Rome paying for this if they're going to benefit from it? And he found out there was lots of money that had been donated to the temple in Jerusalem, so he just raided the treasury and took as much money as he could get. That went over poorly. So in order to understand the story of the crucifixion, you have to understand living at a time where the government might take money you didn't want to give. To, well, I don't want to go there, but anyway, uh, what you need to understand, this was another overreach, but this time Pilate was ready. And so the people came to his office and they said, hey, you can't take the money from the temple. And this time he had soldiers ready and it says they bludgeoned hundreds of people to death. And the whole mob that came up when they started beating them, people ran away and others were trampled in the stampede. So Pilate was hated by the Jews. Now, if you weren't with us last week, the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the community wanted Jesus dead because he exposed them as religious frauds and power-hungry fools. And that's being kind. And so but they don't have the authority to execute people. Rome had said, no, we do that. And so the religious leaders had to bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate in order for him to be executed. And they detest him. Now we're ready to begin the story. So point B, even though they detested Pilate, on Good Friday morning, some members of the Sanhedrin, that's a Jewish ruling council, brought Jesus to Pilate requesting Jesus' immediate execution. So here we go. People are knocking at the door. They have been trying Jesus all night long. They arrested him in the middle of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, had this trial, tried him for blasphemy. When he claimed to be the Son of God, they said he deserves to die. They haul him off to Pilate's house. John 18, 28. Then Jesus was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor, Pilate. And Jesus' accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. And they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what's your charge against this man? Now for you to understand this, this is also Passover week when the Jews celebrated and remembered how the angel of death had passed over their houses. God commanded them to observe this every, the spring of every year. And so at Passover, they would have special meals. After the day of Passover, there would be the week of unleavened bread, and there would all be kind of special meals together with family. It was a whole week of family celebrations, a national holiday. And so Jerusalem was packed with tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 visitors maybe more that would normally be there. And so Pilate wasn't over in Caesarea where his office was all the time. He was in Jerusalem. Because if there was ever going to be a riot or a problem with an uprising, it would be during Passover when the Jews are celebrating how God rescued them from the tyrannical Egyptians. 
and freed them from slavery. So you understood why the Romans who were occupying their territory said, hey, we've got we to nip this here because they look at us the same way they looked at the Egyptians as wicked overlords. So now something unprecedented happens. Some of the Jewish leaders are bringing a Jew to Pilate for him to execute them, for him to execute him. And Pilate knows something's way off. They hate Pilate. They've never done this before. They accuse him of excessive brutality, and now they're bringing a man for him to execute? Something's weird here. What's your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. I mean, how old is he, seven? What's the charge? Well, we wouldn't bring him here unless he was guilty. Blah. I mean, it's really what's happening. I mean, Pilate's going, oh my goodness. So listen, and so he tells him, look, take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told him. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. I mean, he's about to turn around and go back into his headquarters like, oh. Okay, you guys are really going to push this. Now he's curious. It's important to note here, the Jewish leaders knew that a charge of blasphemy, Jesus did claim to be the son of God, and they said they didn't believe him, so they said he was blaspheming. That would mean nothing to Pilate. I mean, Pilate didn't care about the religious beliefs. So they accused Jesus of three other crimes, tax evasion, treason, and terrorism. Now, that's a preacher thing to do, alliteration, three T's. I worked really hard at that. That's really good. You should applaud that. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Tax evasion, treason, and terrorism, which were capital offenses under Roman law. Where do I get that from? Luke 23. In his account, Luke records for us, this is what they told Pilate. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government, by claiming he's the Messiah, a king, and he's causing riots by teaching wherever he goes all over Judea from Galilee to Jerusalem. They leave out the part that they're the ones who started the riots. And they made up the other two. And so here's a life application. If we allow pride to go unchecked, we'll become blind, blind to our own sin and hypocrisy. Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this. Because it was the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread after that, the Jews made sure there was no yeast in any of their houses. Yeast represented sin, and a little bit of sin can work its way through the whole, through all of your life. And so just like a little bit of yeast works as well through the dough. So they had to make sure there was no yeast in their houses during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if they walked in the home of a Gentile, like Pilate, there was certainly to be yeast somewhere. And if you did that, then you would be ceremonially unclean, and you wouldn't be able to have time with your family during all the Passover unleavened bread celebrations. So they come to Pilate's house, six o'clock in the morning, come out here to us. And he's telling them, he's telling one of his guards, bring them in, that sir, they won't come in. They won't come in because if they come into his house, they'll be ceremonially unclean. So they want Pilate to come out so they can make up lies about Jesus and murder him. 
They're not worried about that. Oh, yeah, that lying murder part? Yeah, that's not a big deal. But yeast, come on. And this is exactly what Jesus had accused them of, Matthew 23, 24. Blind guides, you strain, out your, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Oh, can you believe those guys? Yeah. They're not that different than we are. I grew up in a farming community, and there was a church out in the country that my family and I attended, and in that church were two brothers. The brothers, I guess, had inherited some land because their property bordered each other. And one year, one of the brothers planted his crops 10 feet too wide along his brother's property. And so when the crop grew up, his brother came with a mower and mowed it all down before he could harvest it and mowed 10 feet over on the other side just to remind him that he was wrong. Well, the next season then, the other brother retaliated the same way. And pretty soon, they had to have a surveyor come out, mark off the line, and put up a fence. And neither one of them wanted to pay the surveyor because it was the other brother's fault. 20 years ago. And they're attending church every Sunday, sitting on opposite sides of the sanctuary area and hating the guy on the other side. Go to church today? Yep. Check the box. Hate the guy? Yep. He's your brother. I know it. We're driving home on the same road, turned into driveways, half a mile apart. But we went to church. Haven't talked in 20 years. Oh, wow. That's straining on a gnat and swallowing a camel. Bad to miss church. It's okay to hate your brother for 20 years. Search me, O God, know my heart. This is Psalm 139, 23. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's written by David, a man after God's own heart. Who had an affair with another man's wife and then tried to cover it up by murdering the guy. Which he did. And when all of it was exposed, he said, oh God, I'm a sinner. Is it possible for us to strain out a gnat and swallow a camel? Yeah. I told you this story can relate to us. Well, Pilate's interest has been piqued. So this is point C here. Pilate, because he knew Jesus was innocent, but he still didn't set Jesus free. Matthew even tells us as much. Matthew 27, 18, Pilate knew very well the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy, and Pilate was not going to be their errand boy. He was not. So he wanted to find out what's going on. But he didn't do it because Pilate was seeking truth and righteousness. Pilate had become so cynical as a point one, he'd given up on seeking truth and justice, and he just settled for figuring out whatever works. And he wanted to find out how he could use this for his benefit. So he pulls Jesus inside. He'll know they'll have a private audience because they're not going to get yeast on their shoes. Bring him inside. Now I can talk to him on my own. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Because they just said, you claim to be king. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? 
Am I a Jew? Pilate reported. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, well, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. I mean, I think we can relate to this today, too. What is truth? I mean, surveys are out now. There's never been less trust in the media now in the history of the United States than there is today. If somebody told you, I heard this on the news, which news? Right? I don't know whether that's true. You better check that out. Well, Pilate lived in a time when everybody around him was always using everything for their advantage. And by the way, the religious leaders of the land that they were occupying, he knew they were crooked. He'd seen Jesus ride in a few days before on a donkey and everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now these guys are trying to kill him. He knew they were jealous. I mean, he knew it. <sighs> truth, don't talk to me about truth. Pilate said, and then he went out again to the people. And he said, he's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Next week, we're going to tell you all about Barabbas. But you just need to know today that Barabbas was an insurrectionist. I mean, a terrorist. Somebody would commit murder. He hated the Romans with a passion. and would just as soon kill a Roman as look at him. And everybody knew it. And so Pilate, again, he's not looking for righteousness here. He's going, hey, I need to, I need to figure a way out of this mess. I'm not going to do this because these guys want me to. So I'll make an impossible deal. This Jesus, who's a, known for being a great teacher and a healer, I'll put him up versus the meanest, surliest thug I can find that we've arrested. We're going to crucify him soon anyway. And it's like, I'm going to give them a choice. And to his horror, they chose Barabbas, and he had to let Barabbas go. And so Pilate is stuck here now. I mean, he was just looking for something that worked to get him out of a jam. And there's a life application for you and me. We need to turn to God for help when we face difficult decisions, not just look for whatever works. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. I mean, Paul told Timothy, he said, hey, it's so important to understand this, that God's word is truth. All scripture is inspired by God. It's, this is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life, follow me. You have to believe in me. There's no other way to the Father except through me. And this is why at Centerpoint, we are always gonna uphold God's word as truth. 
if we let go of this and we just start going by mob rule or crowd rule, we'll be in the same situation as Pilate where he's trying to figure out ways out and he's trying to make deals. If it's good news to you today that God has given us his word and we can know the truth, would you say amen? amen. Pilate didn't have that. So he tried to make a deal. And then secondly, Pilate tried appeasing the crowd. He didn't think they'd ever go for Barabbas, but they did. And then he tried appeasing them. John 19, 1. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and the soldiers rose, rove, wove a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews! They mocked, and they slapped him across the face. And Pilate went outside again, and he said to the people, I'm going to bring, out, bring him out to you now, but understand clearly I find him not guilty. Second time he's pronounced him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here's the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Third time. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He realized he is in a real bind. He hates the Jews and they hate him. And he's not, he didn't want to give them what they wanted. But now he's painted himself into a corner. What are you going to do with him? And as he's sitting there thinking about this, there's an important life application for you and me. Something amazing happened. Here's a life application. We can count on God. When we get in situations where we don't know what to do, we can count on God to show us the way out when we're tempted to give in to the crowd. I mean, say we're hanging around a bunch of people, all of a sudden they're starting to use drugs. Say we're around a group of people and they're all of a sudden going into conversations about other employees or neighbors and this is all gossip and you don't need to be a part of this. Say there's some shady things going on at work and if it's not illegal, it's certainly unethical and you don't want to be a part of it. What are we going to do? And you're sitting right in the seat where Pilate was sitting. What am I going to do? Listen to what happened in Pilate's case so he would know God was merciful to him. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, people yelling at him to crucify Jesus. His wife, now these are pagans. His wife sent him this message, leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. God in his mercy showed Pilate one more time, this isn't right. You know these people hate you. They've never brought anybody to you before. You know it's all out of jealousy. You know they've stirred up the crowd to cheer for Barabbas. You know this isn't right. This isn't right. So how does that apply to us? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations in your life, my life, are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. 
Can we read that sentence that's on the screen right now together, please? When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. This is a promise from God himself. I stop on this right now because some of you cannot believe I'm talking about this today. You are facing a hard choice, a moral dilemma. You feel pushed into a corner. You know you have a hard decision to make, and the consequences could be really tough. But you know the right thing to do. You just don't want to pull the trigger and do it. God will show you a way out. And sometimes the way out is literally the door. Get out. Get out of that relationship. Stop hanging around these people who are gossiping. Don't go around those people who are doing drugs. Get out. It'll be abundantly clear. And it may be that this message today is God's version of that dream for you. That dream that Pilate's wife had. You're going, why in the world would he be talking about that today? Did somebody talk to John Schmidt? Why is he talking about that? I told you this stuff can relate to us. Ultimately, point two, ultimately, Pilate ordered Jesus to be crucified because he was afraid of being canceled. John 19, 12. Then Pilate tried to release Jesus. His wife had the dream, okay, I gotta let him go. But the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. What you also need to know is they'd complained about him in the past and they had always threatened him. If you keep causing trouble, we're gonna have you recalled by the emperor. And in those days, if there was a recall, you didn't just lose your job, you probably lost your head because you were the problem that caused things to get out of control. And with Rome, it was control, control, control. And they said, if you let this man go, we're walking to Caesar. And if you don't kill him, we're gonna make sure he kills you. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Away with him, they yelled, crucify him. What, crucify your king? Pilate asked, we have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. He gave in. Man, we live in a day now, if you and I stand for what's true, we could easily be canceled on a social media platform. We could be cut out of circles of friends. But there's a life application for you and me. Pilate had his chance. He had his opportunity to do what was right, and he didn't take it. But today, this week, you can put whatever time frame, this year, you and I have a chance to do what's right. And the question is, are we going to do it, or are we going to blame it on everybody else? I mean, notice what Pilate was doing. What do you want me to do with this Jesus? What do you want me to do with this Jesus? What do y'all want me to do with this Jesus? I'll make you a deal. I'll have him beaten. I know he's innocent. But I don't want the blame for this. And that was the whole reason that the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate. They didn't want the blame for it. So everybody's pushing everybody else into a corner. And that way Pilate can tell his superiors, hey, why'd you execute that guy? The people were telling me to crucify him. I had to. I was going to be a riot. Okay. And then when the people complained to the religious leaders, why'd you hand Jesus over to the Romans? Well, the Romans were the ones who crucified him, not us. 
plausible deniability. Oh, it's so tempting. Got a hard decision in my life. Well, you know, I'll obey God and do what he wants, but only if these other people take care of everything else I need for me to do that. I'll apologize if they apologize first. James 4, 17. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. This is about personal responsibility. Pilate doesn't get off the hook just because the crowd was cheering. Neither do you and I. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. Wow, that's vague. <laughs> no, it's not. That is clear. Well, the last point I want to remind us of is Jesus willingly went through all this, allowed all this to happen. He suffered injustice, torture, humiliation, and death in order to save us from our sins. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? There's one person who stood up for what was right. There was one person who did what was right and what was necessary. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the chief priest. It was Jesus. He did it because he loves you and me. Listen to what was written about this incident 700 years before it happened. This is Isaiah 53. Speaking of Jesus, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. One last life application. We must respond to God's gracious gift of salvation. Now you know why Paul would write this. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. If you've been waiting for a day to come to Jesus, today's the day. Maybe God brought you here. Maybe some of the people have been listening online. They stumbled across this. Because today's the day when they go... I'm not going to run away anymore. I'm tired of living by whatever the crowd wants. I want God in my life. I want to know the way, the truth, and the life. I want God to take his word and apply it to my heart. I want to do what God wants me to do with my life. I'm coming today. Or maybe some of us, well, we've, we gave our lives to Christ years ago, but we've just allowed the crowd to lead us into all kinds of shameful things, sinful things, things we know are wrong. Our conscience has been bothering about this for a long time. Repent, come home today. Maybe this is a message just like Pilate's wife's dream. Pilate's wife's dream. Have nothing to do with that sin anymore. Be done with it. Today. Will you pray with me? Lord, oh my goodness, there's so much more to this story, but Lord, it's amazing when we look at Pilate. Guy was tempted with the same temptations we are. Father, we need you. If the Lord spoke to you today about anything, we prayed at the beginning that he would speak. If he spoke to you about something, silently where you are right now, would you say, Lord, I heard you. God, I thank you for bringing me here today.
If you've never come to, per, come to Christ before, surrendered your heart to Christ before, pray with me now. Lord Jesus, I want Jesus in my life. I want you in my life. I want you to control my life, to fill my life. I'm tired of going the wrong way. I'm tired of making decisions on my own. I want you to guide my life. You're the good shepherd. You died on the cross for my sins. You know what a sinner I am. Please forgive me, Lord. I give my life to you. If you're a believer and you've wandered off the path for a long time, then you pray with me now. Oh, Lord Jesus, God, I do think this message was like, a, like that dream the pilot's wife had. Have nothing to do with this sin anymore. It's ruining your life. Get rid of it. Come to me. Return to me. I'll give you rest. Lord, I heard you calling. Coming to you. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.